welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most bizarre, the most gruesome, the most noteworthy homicide cases in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season three, relationship murders or husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend type murders are discussed and profiled. On this episode, the shooting murder of 24-year-old Carlin Ramirez Kearney is profiled and the unsolved stabbing murder of 25-year-old Joanna Metzger is examined. Man, yo, I swear, I swear to God, I mean, men who want their cake and eat it too. To be cheating on each other is one thing. But if your husband, your wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend, if they want to get out, by all means, let him or her go. I mean, please just let them go because I promise you, it's not worth it. It's not. You would think that a military man would have some sense. You would think that a military man is supposed to be trained to know the rules and the consequences, the regulations, all of that of their actions but not 34-year-old Army Sergeant Malik Kearney. Malik, who was originally from San Antonio, Texas, was a skilled chemical, biological, and radiological nuclear specialist who he enlisted in the Army and the Pennsylvania National Guard in 2000. During his 15 years of service, he racked up more than 30 awards from the military, including seven Army Achievement Medals, four Army Commendation Medals, five Good Conduct Medals, the Global War on Terror Expeditionary Medal, and the Iraq Campaign Medal. With four campaign stars, he did tours of duty in the Middle East, Pakistan, and in Iraq and in Korea. While serving in Korea, he met 24-year-old Carlin Ramirez Carlin. Carlin Ramirez, who she was born and raised in Del Rio, Texas. She grew up living next to the Lachlan Air Force Base and she developed a love for the military. And she left college to join. That's how much she loved the military. She was stationed in South Korea. She fell for the decorated army sergeant and they quickly became a couple, even though Malik had other chicks on the side. With five other kids to support, Carlin got pregnant by him too. They got engaged and they planned to get married. Three months after their daughter was born, the couple said I do to each other. And in 2015, they got married even though they were both stationed like 500 miles apart from each other. And even though Malik still had other girlfriends, with Malik stationed in Fort Jackson, South Carolina and Carlin stationed in Fort Meade, Maryland, the husband and wife, they struggled to maintain a long-distance marriage. You know, Carlin obtained a top-secret clearance, and she worked in the... She worked in a top-secret intelligence unit at NSA. Now, she moved in with a female roommate in the quiet 600-unit townhome community of Lake Village townhomes, her unit was in the 800 block of Millstone Court in Severn, Maryland, not too far from her job. With both Carlin and Malik having affairs with other people, 
just two weeks after they said I do, Carlin said I don't and moved on with her life. And she made plans like to fall off with the horse. She obviously quickly must have realized that she made a mistake. And she also got a protective order through the army forbidding him to have any contact with her because he just kept popping up and showing up unannounced. And he supposedly answered all of that by trying to kill himself by taking a bunch of sleeping pills. She was happy. It looked like she had found her purpose in life. That's what her roommate later commented to reporters for the Baltimore Sun. Even though Malik still kept his other girlfriends, he still had sex with them, he could not let his wife go. One particular chick that he had been having an affair with, she did her best to prove that she was going to be his ride or die no matter what. She also was from Texas, and she herself had met Malik while they both were serving in Iraq in 2007. And even though he got married, and even though he had other chicks in addition to this one too, she was his most loyal bitch. And together, they came up with a plan to get rid of his wife for good. How dare she leave me and I'm the one cheating? I mean, seriously, really? This is how dudes think? Really? Anyway, together, his fling, or his ride or die, they came up with a scheme where if his wife didn't where if his wife didn't want him, then nobody else was going to have him. So the plan was set in motion. On the morning of August the 24th, 2015, Malik got off work early and went to his apartment in South Carolina. There, his ride or die was waiting for him. She was going to let him use her Nissan Altima, which was less noticeable than his Jaguar, so he could drive to Fort Meade, Maryland to handle his business. Homegirl even tracked his gas mileage, went to a Florida Home Depot, and got a two-gallon gas cans. She got two five-gallon gas cans so he wouldn't have to stop for gas and leave like a paper trail. Shortly, I mean, even, even like after that, she went out and got his dinner, got him a Subway sandwich from Subway, an Italian spicy sub, so he wouldn't be hungry on the eight-hour drive to Merlin. She was going to play her role by creating an alibi for him by staying at his apartment in South Carolina. Dude even felt comfortable enough with her to leave her his cell phone behind so it couldn't be linked to him traveling to Merlin. While he drove to Merlin, she even sent two text messages from his phone to make it seem like that he never left his apartment in South Carolina. Meanwhile, back at home in Merlin, Carlin had argued with Malik and apparently the argument had made her feel uneasy, it made her feel anxious, and she called her mother and her sister. And she told them, she was like, I don't know what is wrong, I don't feel safe, do you think my baby knows I love her? She told them she was having a panic attack as they calmed her down. Neither one of them thought that it would be the last time that they would hear from her. The next morning, around 8 a.m., on August the 25th, 2015, Carlin's neighbor thought something was off when he noticed that Carlin's dog was running loose around the back of her townhome. Plus, her sliding glass door was left open. He tried to bring the dog back to her townhome and yell her name, but there was no answer. The neighbor then called the maintenance department to report that something was off. And the maintenance man also thought that something was strange, so he called 911 for help. And when the police came into Carlin's home, that's when they found 
what what they found really traumatized the officers for life. There, on the floor, next to her daughter's crib, lay 24-year-old Carlin. She had been shot three times at close range, once in the chest, and then twice in her side with a Taurus 357 caliber revolver. The killer had the nerve to put her four-month-old daughter in her dead mother's arms. At first, the police thought that the baby was dead too, but fortunately, they discovered that the baby was just sleeping on her dead mother's body. The cops thought, like, who would do this, something like this to a young mother in such a quiet neighborhood where hardly nothing ever happens? The killer had pulled down Carlin's underwear and her pants, given the appearance that she was also possibly sexually assaulted or raped. What when Carlin's mother didn't hear from her and she didn't return none of her calls, she knew something was wrong because they talked on the phone every day, sometimes two, three times a day. Worried, she called she called Carlin's um, commanding officer at his home and asked if he could send somebody over to Carlin's house to check on her and make sure that she was okay. I mean, sometimes a mother can just feel it. A mother just knows I spoke with Carlin every day, sometimes twice a day, her mother later commented to reporters. But as she was hanging up the phone with Carlin's commanding officer, three cops in uniform was at her front door and she just knew that her daughter was dead. I knew, you don't ever want to see that and I yelled my husband's name and I just dropped to my knees and I said, something happened to Carlin, her mother later told Dateline. Her poor sister had to find out about Carlin's death on social media. As a child, Carlin's mother told Dateline that Carlin was a real calm and quiet child who loved to sing all the time. She enlisted in the army in February after trying out college, but dropping out to go to the army. She served for a year at Camp Humphrey, South Korea before she was stationed in Fort Meade in December of 2014. Working as a private first class and information specialist with Fort Meade's 74th 2nd Military Intelligence Battalion, Carlin earned four medals during her service. She had been a cervical cancer survivor and doctors had told her that she would never have kids. That's why she was so overjoyed when her daughter was born. Now, four months after she was born, her mother was murdered. Her apartment showed no signs of forced entry, so the detective started with those closest to her, and of course, her ex-husband Malik was brought in for questioning. Of course, he told the police he ain't know nothing about nothing, and said he was just chilling in South Carolina. He told the detectives that he had, he told the detectives like, you know, as any, any normal married couple, they had their issues, and he knew about her having an affair, but he had forgiven her for that. He told them that he wasn't cheating and he was shocked to hear that she had been killed. Even though the detectives noticed that he waited a full 42 minutes before even asking them how she died, little clues like that, Malik wasn't really considered a suspect and he wasn't arrested because of his airtight alibi. Tears ran down his face as he told the detectives, she was the love of my life. He even posted on his Facebook page, I don't wanna say goodbye still seems so unreal. He did give the detectives access to his bank records and samples of his DNA. He gave them permission to search his car, his apartment in South Carolina, 
the detectives released him and Anne Arundel County police offered up a reward of $20,000 for any information that would lead to the arrest of a suspect in Carlin's murder. Now, Malik played his role of a grieving husband so good that he should have got an Oscar. He kept in close contact with Carlin's family. Dude came to her funeral crying. I mean, what's really eerie is that at her funeral, according to Carlin's mother, this monster stared at her coffin and told her mother, for all we know, the killer is among us. Investigators ain't stupid. They investigate murders not because they have to, not because of what they get paid. Trust me, they do it because they want to. And if you thought the murder of this woman was just going to sit, you are highly mistaken. Some cases just get touched, and this was just going to be one of them. Investigators knew that something just didn't add up. Some things just didn't make sense, so they kept digging and digging. And once they got access to his real phone records, they discovered that first off, Malik had sent over 900 text messages in two days to Carlin, just days before she was shot. And they saw that he had deleted most of those text messages. And he had deleted a bunch of phone calls and text messages to a certain number that he told them nothing about. They traced the number and who do you think it belonged to? It was the chick who stayed at his apartment in South Carolina. A year later, she now lived in Florida and the detectives decided to pay her a visit. And once they did, the case broke wide open. After they talked to her, at first she seemed like, you know, she's not everything. She was like, you know, I ain't do it, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, detectives ain't stupid. They pushed and eventually she told them that she knew that one day somebody would show up and start asking questions. And she was like, look, I'm ready to come clean. I'm ready to get all this off my chest. I just can't deal with it no more. Whew. It didn't really take that much to, for her to confess her role, you know, in Carlin's murder. And based off of what she told the detectives, both she and Carlin were arrested on October 6, 2016, 13 months after Carlin was killed. After they were arrested, his ex-girlfriend's, her ex-boyfriend came forward to the detectives and told them that he had helped her get rid of a gun specifically a 357 and that that information put the nail in the coffin and it, it was what the detectives needed he told them that he threw a gun off the fishing pier in florida not too far from where she lived when the detectives went to florida and actually found the gun even though it had been badly damaged by being in the water for so long a gun expert was still able to restore the serial number on the gun and match it to the same gun that she had bought for Malik to use to kill his wife. Boom. Now, both charged with first-degree murder, the Anne Arundel County Police Chief released a statement that said, it makes you sick. I don't know how a human being could leave his own child. The baby could have died. It was a monstrous act. That baby spent more than eight hours alone on her, his her dead mother's body. I mean, whoa, I mean, seriously? Both held without bail. Malik was prosecuted in federal court because prosecutors discovered that he had traveled across state lines specifically to kill his wife who lived in another state 
but he was extradited right back to Maryland to face charges. He maintained his innocence the entire time. I mean, these liars for real. Even when his once loyal ride or die chick fully testified against him, on the stand, she painted a picture of where she had met him well, well before he met his wife and they were having sex up until the point they were arrested. You know, she cried as she told the court that Malik felt that if he couldn't have his wife and his family back, then nobody was going to have her. She said she gave him the 357 and she knew what he was going to use it for. She had even told him or texted him a meme that read, remember, if we get caught, you are deaf and I don't speak English. And it was a picture of like a minion. She said that Malik came into her home using, he came into his wife's home using his key and shot the mother of his infant daughter. After he shot her, he said he pulled down her pants and underwear to make it seem like that she had been raped. Then he put his own baby in her mother's arms and got in that car and drove straight back to South Carolina and went to work like nothing happened. His girlfriend said that while Malik was 500 miles away killing his wife, she was at she was in his living room on his couch scrolling through his phone getting pissed though by the minute she testified that she realized that she was getting played too when she saw pictures and text messages that he had shared with other women and evidence that he was fucking them too i mean it was just a mess tears ran down her face as she testified against malik saying it pissed her off to see him playing the oh i can't believe she's gone routine with his wife's family by buddying up to him, buddying up to her family all at the funeral and going to his dead wife's graves with her family. Her family was welcoming, welcoming him in and I was not knowing who he was. I was upset he was playing this role of poor him, a widower, and letting her family comfort him. They should have been the ones being comforted. That's what she commented and testified on stand. After shooting his wife, his girlfriend testified that he left Carlin's sliding glass door open and drove back to South Carolina, making sure to take back roads so as not to raise any suspicion or get noticed anywhere. Once he got back to his apartment in South Carolina, he gave his girlfriend the gun, the shell casings, the clothes he wore during the murder, and the key he used to go in his wife's home, and she drove to Banana River in Florida and dropped it off a fishing pier. She testified that Malik said, that he couldn't believe what he'd done and he couldn't believe that he just left his wife and baby just lying there and that he wanted to shoot himself after he did it. Why didn't you stop me? She said he asked her. But tears flew as she told Carlin's family how sorry she was. I was having nightmares that he was choking me or he would hurt me in some way. I was having nightmares about getting arrested, she testified. His girlfriend did her part and pled guilty to interstate travel to commit domestic violence resulting in death in August of 2017 and for her role that she played in Carlin's murder on September 7, 2018, she was sentenced to 204 months or basically 17 years in prison along with five years of supervised probation. With Malik still maintaining how innocent he was, his legal team put the blame on his girlfriend and basically said that she could have done it because she was this vindictive, jealous ex-girlfriend. The jury was like, really? 
That's all. That's your defense. That's that's really what you got. So after an 11-day trial, Malik was found guilty on August the 8th, 2018, and convicted of federal charges of interstate travel to commit domestic violence, resulting in death, and using a firearm during the commission of a crime of violence. At his sentencing hearing on November the 30th, 2018, Carlin's mother was allowed to address the court and she said, my pain would likely give him a level of satisfaction. He doesn't deserve to walk among us. He's a cold, callous, calculating sociopath. I implore your honor not to release this monster. Malik was allowed to speak as well and he showed no remorse, no emotion and spoke so fast that the court clerk allowed him to, she asked him to slow down. There is no moment that I don't miss Carlin. The love that I have for her grows stronger as each day passes. To his five kids, he read a statement. I'm sorry, I haven't been able to be there for you for the past two years because of these proceedings. Daddy loves you. The judge basically was like, you know what? I don't believe you. And sentenced Malik to life in prison without the possibility for parole plus another 10 years and ordered him to pay $492,800 in restitution to Carlin's family. He showed no emotion the entire time. This case has been profiled on Oxygen's True Crime and Dateline's Secrets Uncovered. Whew, now that, when I heard about this case, that poor baby, I mean, hopefully, thank God, she won't remember nothing like this. Because that is just devastating. He got five kids, and he supposedly loves them, and you put your a four-month-old in your, the dead mother's arms? What? He's a psychopath. And then he got the nerve to go to the funeral. And, you know, buddy-buddy all up to the family. You know, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, like this is what's the scene from Juice? <laughs> you know how Bishop did, like, when he killed, you know... And then he shows up at the funeral and, oh, I'm so sorry. And I, I, that's a sociopath. That's a monster. That's the definition of a monster. I mean, he didn't care about his own child. He didn't care about her. He didn't care about the mother bitches. He didn't care about that other chick that was supposed to be in. His loyal ride or die or whatever. He ended up blank putting the blame on her. So that's the definition of a sociopath to me, a psychopath. He claimed a PTSD this at the trial and he had abusive childhood. So what? So what? He thought he was a ladies man. Sometimes they hide behind their little military career and I'm supposed to be this and I'm supposed to be superior and all of that. Ugh. He put his dad, that was his child. He put, so, and she was alone for eight hours. He got what he deserved. He got what he deserved. Case closed on this one. I mean, I didn't even want to write to him because for what? He's a narcissist. He's a freaking monster. He's a sociopath. And that's why this case was notorious in Merlin. And I hope you know there's no parole in the federal system. So he's never getting out. For this season, season three, each unsolved homicide will profile a victim who was transgender. While conducting my research on all the unsolved homicide victims in Maryland, I was completely shocked, like mortified, first of all, by the number of victims who were transgender. And then I was shocked by how nothing seems like it was done. No real questioning of witnesses, no talking to friends, family, definitely no DNA 
testing or stuff like that you see on TV. I mean, like to me, it just seems like not enough investigating was done. Many of the family members and the friends, they had to find out that their loved ones was killed by seeing it online or seeing it on the news because there was no real communication with them, like the family or no real effort to find them. And detectives just assumed that because the victim was transgender, that, oh, this person got killed because they was living a double life, oh, this person was running game, or they was tricking, or they was this, or they was that, especially if it was in, if their murder occurred in a area that was where high sex crimes or, or well, prostitution is known. I mean, whatever. <laughs> it, 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 don't be mad at yourself for what you like. Be mad at yourself. I mean, don't be mad at them for what you like, I should say. Be mad at yourself. Like, who made you the judge and the jury on who gets to live and who gets to die because you mad at yourself for what you out buying? Every single victim of a homicide deserves justice. And they deserve answers, no matter the lifestyle. So, for this season, season three, the spotlight on all of the unsolved homicides that are profiled the victims or transgender on this episode the unsolved stabbing murder of 25 year old johanna metzger is profiled on saturday april the 11th 2020 around 12 25 a.m baltimore city police were called to respond to a report of a stabbing that occurred in the 2200 block of highview avenue once there they found 25 year old joanna metzger who had been stabbed she was rushed to a local hospital where she later died the legal director of free state justice baltimore safe gave a statement that read free state justice is deeply saddened by the loss of joanna metzger despite significant gains in recent years society by and large still denies the fundamental humanity of transgender individuals or our right to exist as our true selves we dream and continue to fight for a day in which transgender in maryland will no longer have to fear of being murdered or of their killers being able to cite a panic defense to avoid responsibility for their actions joanna who was originally known as joseph was from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and she was in Baltimore staying at a rehab center. According to an article for the Baltimore Sun, Joanna was a college graduate and she loved music. She loved music so much that she taught herself how to play several musical instruments. Because of the COVID-19 lockdown, on April 14, 2020, Baltimore Safe Haven which is a local LGBTQ community center, they held an online Zoom vigil for Joanna to honor her life and to honor her memory. The trans community, LGBTQ non-conforming community matters and they need to step up and address this throughout the city. Baltimoreans, are you listening? Said the founder of Baltimore Safe Haven during the vigil. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, all non-essential businesses were closed in Maryland since March 23, 2020, so Joanna didn't even have a funeral. Baltimore City LGBTQ released a statement to the press that read, We are heartbroken to report another trans woman has lost her life to violence here in Baltimore. Today we lift up the name and honor the life of Joanna Metzger. 
we wish comfort to those whose life she touched. And the director of Baltimore's Power Inside Women's Day Shelter said, being trans is a lonely lifestyle at times. Now that we are able to roam freely and we're accepted in community, it's like we're shut right back indoors. It's really affecting the mental health of the trans women in communities. Look, y'all, the police have nothing. Zilch, nada, nothing. And nothing was done. Somebody got stabbed, they moved on to the next homicide. No leads, no tips, no clues, nothing in this now cold case. So do the right thing, people. If you have any information at all on this homicide, please do not hesitate to call Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100 or you can send a text to 443-902-4824. You can also email them at homicidetips with an S at baltimorepolice.org. Those numbers again are Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100 you can send a text to 443-902-4824 or you can email them at homicidetips with an S at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous people. Somebody surely has to know something. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, bizarre episodes. Also, please be sure to check out all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast, which are Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990 2000 to 1990 to 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume One, and Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 2009. To 2020, which has yet to be released and should be released in the upcoming months. All of these books, as well as my other true life books, are all available in paperback and as an ebook on Amazon.com. Be sure to tune in next week where another high profile homicide will be examined and profiled and discussed on Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. This has been a real life production.